Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to Better Living. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. Today, we are talking about the Dallas Area Rape Crisis Center. In studio with me is their CEO, Amy Jones. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Nick. I'm glad to be here. Thank you very much for joining me. Ona Foster with Family Compass hooked me up with you guys, and I've been waiting to talk to you guys for quite a while. You've done a lot of great work in this city. I feel that you are a well-known organization, but not everybody may be familiar with what you do and who you are, and that's always how we start in the show. So talk to me about what this organization does. Who are you guys? Absolutely. So Dallas Area Rape Crisis Center, we are the freestanding rape crisis center that serves primarily Dallas County. So what that means is that we serve survivors of sexual violence, does not matter when it occurred, uh, and we serve them with a variety of services. We also do a lot of outreach and education in our community. Sexual violence versus rape. Is this, how do we define those Mm -hmm. two as far as being different? I think that we all understand what those two are, but... You specifically said sexual violence. So how do you see that as an organization? So good question and and good clarification. I usually use the phrase sexual violence because it encompasses uh, a variety of different types of sexual assault, sexual abuse, rape, sexual harassment, um, stalking related to Mm. maybe an intimate partner relationship. So we recognize that sexual violence occurs on a continuum. Um, And we want to be as inclusive as possible because we serve anybody, no matter if there was um, a rape, if there was um, some sexual abuse that occurred in childhood, um, regardless of whether there was penetration or not penetration. So there can be different kind of layers of sexual violence. And we want to make sure everybody feels included uh, and like we have services that apply to them, not just if they've recently been sexually assaulted. I do want to talk about all of this stuff, and we are, especially the services that are involved. Mm-hmm. But you said something, and it just it piqued my interest. You said stalking. Mm-hmm. Have you seen cases of stalking go up over the years, especially because of the Internet and how easy it is to track people and, and stick with that? Is that something this organization has had to deal with more over the past few years? That's, a, that's an important question. Um, I can say anecdotally what I have seen is that especially for individuals who are in uh, a relationship with an intimate partner that is abusive in some way, the frequency of technology and digital abuse is incredibly high. So, yes, I would say that it is not uncommon that if somebody, if the perpetrator is their partner or a previous partner, a romantic partner, that absolutely stalking is most likely going to be a part of it. And when we talk about stalking, I think we always have that kind of classic, you know, the guy in the car across the street, Mm -hmm. somebody in the Mm -hmm. window. It's not just that. No, no. Now, what I have seen more of is tracking devices on cars, um, spy software on cell phones and computers. Yeah, yeah. So it's what we would call digital abuse, and it's tracking somebody through maybe their social media presence. Um, Perhaps somebody creates a fake profile and... Uh, tracks them or gets onto somebody else's, you know, they, they get their passwords, they're able to get their passwords, um, and they hack into someone else's social media and create posts that are perhaps disparaging or problematic for that person's relationships or um, their job. So, I mean, it can be 
Yeah, it, it has these, gone way beyond just following somebody home. These are all very new things. How does an organization mm-hmm. like yours adapt to something that is so, we're talking about cutting edge technology. This stuff didn't, mm-hmm. ex- it was in spy movies mm-hmm. 10 years ago, and now everyone has access to it. This is the world that we live in. How do you, how do you switch it up and make sure that you're providing services that people need in cases like this? That's a That's an important thing that we're constantly looking at. We're paying attention to the bigger picture. So we're not just paying attention to what's coming through our door or what's coming through our hotline. And I think the way that we can do that most effectively is through strong, healthy partnerships with other organizations, uh, whether they are other citywide organizations or we're looking at statewide organizations. You know, we have a Texas Association Against Sexual Assault as our statewide coalition. And their entire purpose is to provide what they call technical assistance to rape crisis centers. So they are out there making sure that they understand what the latest trends are. And I hate to call them trends when we're talking about something like sexual violence and stalking, but you get my point. Uh, And then also trying to understand what are the most effective ways to intervene and to support survivors. So thankfully, as an organization, we don't have to do it all on our own. Uh, We're a part of a much larger network of organizations and groups of advocates who are working really hard to end sexual violence. So is the organization looking at sexual violence from a bird's eye view and trying to adapt to it and figure out the best way to help people in addition to the work that you do individually with people? Because that's my understanding of the organization, that it's a lot of one-to-one and counseling and helping people navigate something terrible that's happened in their life. But you're also saying that you're looking at this stuff uh, from far away and trying to figure it out. Yes. Yeah. We we have to take, we recognize we have to take both a micro and a macro approach. And the micro is just what you said, right? We are here for every single individual survivor who needs our help and our support and their friends and family members. But at the same time, we do not want to be an organization that just responds to sexual violence. We want to be a part of the larger movement to end it. And that has to be that bird's eye view. We have to look at all of the factors. Micro and macro. That's what yeah. I was looking for. Has that always been a part of the organization? That seems to me to be something that's very advanced as far as an organizational standpoint is concerned. Has that always been a part of you guys? So as far as I know, I will say I've been with the organization only the last year. Uh, but I know this organization, it's been around for 10 years. And the founders and the people who were key players in this organization are individuals I know to be deeply committed to ending sexual violence um, and are connected to the larger movement and a desire to address the larger systemic issues that create barriers for survivors. So I would say yes. Let's talk a little bit about you and how you found this organization. You said you've been here for one year. Mm -hmm. Have you always worked within this sector? Yes. So yes, my entire uh, adult career has been working with survivors of some type of interpersonal violence. I'm a therapist by training. I have a, a master's degree in licensed professional counseling. So I started as an advocate. I started as a therapist. And I have been in nonprofit organizations my entire career. I recently came from an organization, another local organization here in Dallas that provides services to women and children impacted by domestic violence and landed here at Darcy uh, about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago. Did you were you aware of the organization before you came in? Was it something that you were hunting for? Did they approach you? How did you find your 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 place? No, I've known about Darcy since the beginning. So uh, when I started back back in the day, uh, it's almost been two decades now. Uh, I actually started at another rape crisis center in Collin County. So the Turning Point uh, Rape Crisis Center serves Collin County and and the surrounding kind of rural areas up there. So I worked there for several years and. During my time there, Darcy, Dallas Area Rape Crisis Center, was founded and started. So I got to watch them 
from inception and see what they were doing in Dallas. So prior to 10 years ago, Dallas, which is one of the largest major metropolitan areas in the country, did not have a rape crisis center. They did not have... Exactly. They did not have sane nurses, which we can talk about what those are later. But essentially, Dallas was not in compliance with what everyone else in the country would consider best practice response to sexual violence. You said you were in Collin County? I was. Okay. Why would Collin County have one and Dallas would not? I don't have a better question as to uh, why. Yeah, I don't have a good answer for that. I think a lot of people didn't have a good answer for that. I know that there was a super dedicated social worker almost 40 years ago in Collin County who realized— that women specifically who had been sexually assaulted were not following through with the investigation and the prosecution, and she realized they need support. And so she mobilized some folks and got it started. Uh, Without her, I don't know that Collin County would have had a response any sooner than Dallas County. So I think what we point to is there have got to be some incredibly motivated individuals willing to come together to make something happen. A perfect segue into my question, and I bring this up a lot when people deal with groups, organizations that deal with tough subjects. Of all the things and all the subjects that you could have dedicated your life to, you said you've been doing this for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. Why this? This is an incredibly difficult area Mm -hmm. to to work in and and to dedicate your life to. What brought you to this? So I have asked myself that question a lot because it was very clear to me when I was in uh, even undergrad that that I wanted to work with individuals who have experienced some type of they're a victim of some type of abuse of power. And it probably is just the way I'm wired, Nick, like I cannot abide or stand an abuse of power. And throughout the course of my life, um, there are probably so many factors and variables that I don't even know what they are. Uh, But I landed in some work. Shortly after I graduated from college, I was living overseas, um, and I was living in Ukraine at the time, and the rates of sexual assault and domestic violence were mind-blowing and the absolute lack of response. And I saw what was happening in that country and what was happening to those women, and I got—I became very close friends with several um, Ukrainian university students at the time I was there teaching English, and um, it just stoked a fire in me, and I came back and— Uh, pursued a master's degree in counseling because I enjoy talking to people Um, and made sense to me that this was the area I wanted to focus on. I felt like, you know, 20 years ago, we weren't talking about it the way that we're talking about it now. So you were interested in it before, but it was that experience in the Ukraine that galvanized it for you. I think so. You knew that this was going to be your mission. Yeah, I think so. Do you speak Russian? I don't. I spoke a little bit um, when I was there. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about what this organization is actually offering the people that it is helping, because you do a, a lot of different things from education to clinical services uh, on the website, which is DallasRapeCrisis.org. It says that you're uh, looking for social change through awareness and accountability. Is that kind of where this organization starts? If you had to talk about exactly what this organization was providing people, what would you say that it is? You know, I think tangibly what we're providing people is – Um, social service intervention. And I say that because these are the things we can count, right? We can count the number of counseling sessions that we can provide. We can count the number of hotline calls that we take. We can count the number of accompaniments that we make to the hospital to support a survivor who's going through a forensic rape kit. Um, Those are the tangible things. But all the time, all the while, in the background, through our social media, through speaking engagements, through our education in the community, we are absolutely pushing for 
and communicating that the only way for us to essentially work ourselves out of a job is for social change to occur, for people to begin to understand and see things differently. And that is what we are always, always pushing for. Um, Janelle, who's sitting in here with me, she is in charge of our social media. And we see that as a service to our community um, to educate them and to challenge them to, to begin to consider sexual violence and survivors differently. There may not be a quick answer to this. I can guarantee there isn't. But what kind of social changes do you think would help when you talk about something as broad as social change yep. on a subject like this, yep. as complicated as it is, what what can be done? What, what would help in the organization's opinion? Yeah. You know, um, there are some really deep-rooted issues that we understand sexual violence um, as as coming from. And some of those are very, very rigid gender roles, right? Um, some of those are the way that men are socialized in our culture, because we have to acknowledge that even though men are survivors of sexual violence, I want to be clear about that, the majority of survivors continue to be female and the majority of perpetrators continue to be male. So we can't ignore that. So there's some sort of dynamic there that is happening. How does our community, how does our country, how does our world uh, value women and girls? How do we um, show that we value women and girls? Um, how do we understand them as human beings with equal human rights to men and boys? So those are that's some of the social change. I mean, we're tackling the big stuff. Um, but still, even though we've been doing this for a really long time, what stuns me over and over and over again is that just the simple stuff we still have to address what I feel like is the simple, like, how could there even be what a is question? The, what is the simple stuff? Yeah. So that is the um, the victim blaming kind of stuff, right? To me, that would be such an easier way to start making progress in this area where just the view of how people see when something has happened mm -hmm. as opposed to the social dynamics between men and women. I mean, that's it's big. tough. It's that's big. crazy. What yep. you're talking about there, it, to me, that's that's going to be you're going to have a more immediate payoff for it. Do you, would you agree with that? You know, yes and no. So it just depends on the person, right? It depends on who hears it and their readiness to shift their view. Like we understand people don't change their beliefs very easily because beliefs are deeply rooted. Beliefs and values are deeply, deeply rooted and reinforced. And so that is we're constantly trying to walk kind of that tightrope, right? Mm. Like we're, we want to make sure that people know just the basic statistics in Texas, two in five women, one in five men are going to know sexual violence at some point in their lifetime. Um, every 92 seconds, someone is, is sexually assaulted in our, in our country. Uh, we want to make sure they know that we want to make sure they under, they understand and they hear from us that we're saying it's not because of what she was wearing. It's not because she went out after dark alone. It's not because, you know, she'd had sex with him before. Um, so we're constantly trying to address those things, but you would be, Nick, a good guy would be shocked to hear how much resistance we face just when we say those things. How frustrating is this? I can feel it in you. You're not a frustrated person, mm -hmm. but you are mm -hmm. like, I feel like you are internally screaming for people mm -hmm. to just understand a little bit more and to just really pay attention to what you're saying and it feels like you're you're having a hard time with even just that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean as a leader of this kind of organization you've mm -hmm. dedicated your life to this how do you balance that frustration with with the work that you're doing yeah i have to remind myself that my frustration is mostly rooted in brokenheartedness right 
So even though I'm angry a lot of the time, um, thankfully I have a good sense of humor. So at least ho- hopefully my anger well, doesn't terrify people. You're not ang- <laughs> like you're you don't um, you're not an angry person, but I mean this is a serious subject, super. and you I can feel yeah. the way that you feel about it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's very empathic of you. Um, Not everybody has that response, right? So, yeah, I mean, I just remind myself that any progress matters, and I have seen progress. Um, It is hard. It is um, takes a lot of work. It takes a large community effort. There are going to be a lot of setbacks. Uh, This is not the kind of work that you come to and hope that— you know, one march is going to change everybody's mind and opinion. Um, this is not the kind of work that you come to and hope that, you know, one presentation and everybody's going to get on board and start donating to your organization. You have to be in this for the long haul. And and frankly, I think you have to have a really great team, which thankfully I have. You have to have a really good support system. Uh, and you have to remind yourself, one, you're not, you know, you're not alone. Were you a patient person or has this work made you a patient person? <laughs> I have never been a patient person. <laughs> Maybe that's good in this I kind of work. I am not a patient person. I think that's probably a good um, thing. But I am a determined person, yeah. Amy Jones is the CEO of the Dallas Area Rape Crisis Center. You can find them online at dallasrapecrisis.org or give their hotline a call at 972-641-7273. How large is this organization? How many people do you have working with you guys? So... We have a staff of about 24 or 25. We have, yeah, we're not huge. It's amazing the amount of work that that this organization accomplishes. Uh, but we also depend on a really large number of volunteers. How what, what does that number look like? Yeah. At any given time, we've got somewhere between 50 and 60 active volunteers. But I got to tell you, we just finished a volunteer training class last night, um, and there were 21 people that graduated from that class. So imagine the amount of recruiting and training and um, supporting of these volunteers just to be able to maintain 50 to 60 active volunteers. And that's because it's tough work. And only for Dallas County. We serve anybody. Um, it doesn't matter where they where they live, if they can get to us, if they want to call our hotline. But we just happen to primarily serve Dallas County. All right. Let's talk about specifically the services that mm-hmm. you're that you're offering. As I mentioned, I saw a bunch of different stuff on the website. Great website, by the way. But let's hear it. Let's hear it from you. What services are people uh, getting from the Dallas Area Rape Crisis Center? Yes. So we offer um, what we hope to be a full spectrum of services for survivors and their loved ones. Uh, if it has been a recent assault, we offer accompaniment to the hospital. We work with Texas Health Resources Dallas, which used to be Presby Dallas up on Walnut Hill. Uh, they have an amazing safe suite, um, sexual assault forensic exam suite up there. And so we send advocates. So no survivor in Dallas County should have to face the prospect of what I think we know in our culture is a rape kit on their own. So we send trained advocates to make sure that they know what their rights are. They receive support. We bring them clothes. We bring them toiletries. And we're there just to offer them support and information. Does the hospital contact you guys? Do they ask the victim if they want your help? How, do, how does that work? So the hospital will contact us or the victim may call the crisis hotline. Um, and we know and we direct them there um, if they're looking for to have an exam. I don't know that, you know, gosh, Janelle, I don't know off the top of my head um, the number of people who come through the hospital who don't want an advocate. I, I just I don't even know that to be true. I, I, um, I, I wouldn't imagine that that would <laughs> right? be the case, but I, I figured yeah. it would be something yeah. to ask. Um, It is important, though, that people recognize it is absolutely the survivor's choice. So if we did show up and they were like, no, I don't want your information. I don't want you in the room or please don't talk to me. We 
we are there to support them and whatever feels best for them. I think that was more towards what I was yeah. angling yeah. at, that you guys are all about making sure that the victim feels what they need to feel to, yes. to feel better. Yes. So once this process is started at the hospital, you mm-hmm. stick with that victim throughout mm-hmm. The process as long as they want. Absolutely. Yes. So our goal is that no survivor should have to encounter or walk through any part of this process on their own if they don't want to. So we are going to follow up a few days after that visit. We're going to give them a follow-up call if they've given us permission to do that. We're going to check in with them. We're going to see what they need. We're going to make sure that they um, understand what our follow-up services are. We're going to go with them to the police department if they need to go speak to a detective. We're going to go with them to court if they want us to go to court with them. You have to navigate a legal yep. field and then an emotional one with yes. something like this. So this is what this organization is offering when that counselor mm-hmm. shows up, a navigator, mm-hmm. as you're saying. Yes. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to say it. We So I have this mental image of we're walking uh, down this path with them, and we've got a lantern and we have a map. But if they decide they don't want to keep going, we support that. Um, we will let them know that there's a pothole up ahead uh, and support them in figuring out how to get around that pothole, right? We are we are there for them as much as they want or need us to be throughout the process. We have a 24-hour hotline uh, that anybody can access at any time. Trained advocates can answer, support them in crisis, give them information, provide them with referrals. Uh, nobody should have to be alone in dealing with sexual violence. For people that have dealt with this in the past but are only dealing with it, let's say, now. So they're not going to the hospital because this is something that, that just happened. Right. This is something that happened years ago. Does Is the process different for them, or is it relatively the same? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's different usually in where they start in their process, right? So they may call us, uh, rather than calling our hotline in crisis, they might call our business line and say, hey, I'm interested in talking to a counselor. Um, Or they may call our hotline and say, this happened a really long time ago and I just want to talk to somebody or I've never told anyone about this. And our hotline advocate will encourage them to consider counseling and call our counseling office. So that may be what that process looks like. Now, depending on how long ago the assault occurred um, or, you know, the factors around that assault, they may still be able to report that according to the laws in the state of Texas. Right. So they may come to us for counseling. It may have happened when they were a child. Uh, but there's no statute of limitations on reporting if sexual violence occurred in childhood. So uh, they could report that if they chose to. And so then, of course, we would step right in. We would provide them with that type of legal advocacy, criminal justice advocacy, um, and support them in that process. After doing a little bit of research and just talking to you, I realized that I don't know anything about this. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like I'm in a minority. Mm-mm. How do you guys help people to understand this? Because even saying people don't even like to say the word rape. Uh-huh. So figuring out how to help people and how to navigate this stuff, it, it seems it, it's got to be tough. So how do you normalize this so people understand how they can get help, that it's not shameful to get help, and kind of push mm-hmm. all of this into a more positive light and area? Well, that leads me to kind of the third part of our services that I didn't talk about, and that's our outreach piece. So we're constantly out in the community talking to people about what we do, um, the dynamics of sexual violence, uh, depending on the audience, right? So if we're talking to a younger audience, we might be talking about healthy relationships, right? We might be talking about consent or boundaries and friendship because we know that that's all a part of them being able to create safety in a relationship for themselves or or feel safer in a relationship. Uh, So we're we are constantly out there. We have a team who is out there all the time every day. They're at health fairs. They're at schools, uh, making sure that 
that this information in our organization is available to people. But, you know, that's also what our social media is about. So we encourage people to follow us on social media. We try to really walk that line between making sure that they see that, hey, we're an organization of people just like you. Um, we're not scary. We're not I don't even know what that would be, right? Like we we really try to make sure we represent our community, that our our staff represents our community. So follow us on social media. And then we're also going to offer some education via social media as well. Um, we're going to let people know what the stats are. We've, we're going to let people know what our services are. It's a, it's a nice way, I think, to start educating yourself about this in uh, maybe a less uncomfortable way if somebody is new to this. When you talk about education and training, which is something that you guys offer, is this seminars? Is this talking to students, teachers? When you say education and training, what are we talking about? Mm-hmm. It is a wide array. Um, it could look like we spend a lot of time on college campuses where we do work that we call prevention work, and that is talking about the dynamics that uh, result potentially result in sexual violence, right? So we're talking about what is sexual consent legally, emotionally, ethically. What does that look like? What are those kinds of sexual boundaries in relationship? Um, if you know, if somebody invites us to come and speak to their business, I'm going to talk to them about the statistics around sexual violence so they understand that this is really normal and this is really common and probably in the room with whomever I'm speaking, uh, you know, there's going to be two in five women and one in five men most likely. Right? But it's never talked this. about. Like, you nope. never know. I think nope. that's the weirdest thing about that yep. is that you, you it's so, so much, common, but yeah. it's never mentioned or talked about. There's so much stigma. There's still, to this day, there's so much stigma, right? Like, we... We tend to see somebody who is brave enough to disclose that they're a survivor. Very often we see them um, in our culture as uh, maybe broken or something's wrong with them or because we have such a strong belief in this culture that they must have done something to deserve it. Mm. Uh, You can imagine why somebody might not disclose or want to talk about it. We are unfortunately kind of getting up against it, and this is another big question. But culturally, I would say— You've heard more conversations about things like consent, things that are okay, things that are not okay. Have you seen that that is starting to seep in a little bit when you're talking to kids or when you're talking to groups or giving you know your seminars? Mm-hmm. Have you seen that it's maybe having some kind of effect on how people see this stuff and their understanding of this world? Yes, yes, yes. So really? I, yeah, so I take heart every time. I'm talking to a group of middle schoolers or high schoolers, and I realize that they know things that I had no knowledge about. Good things, right? Um, They have expectations about what a good, healthy relationship is going to look like that I had no knowledge about, right? They're absolutely like, well, of course it's not that person's fault if they were sexually assaulted. So that's, of course, not every, right? That's not every young person. Um, But I am seeing it in such a way, and I hear stories coming back from the team where I'm like, okay, So all this work, all this work, all these seeds that have been planted all these years um, by advocates doing this work and parents doing this work, uh, we're starting to see fruit. So I think, oh, my gosh, when that generation grows up, I can't wait to see how things are going to be different. That's good news. Yeah, that's good good news. news. See? All right. That makes me feel good. A little bit of hope. A little bit of hope. That's excellent. All right. Uh, You mentioned how big the volunteer force is, and you also mentioned that you're always on the hunt so if people are interested in volunteering with your organization, what are some of the things that, that they'll be doing and how can they get that process started? Yes. Yeah, so we could not do what we do without volunteers. Uh, we use volunteers to answer our hotline. We use volunteers as advocates in the hospital. Uh, we use volunteers to come in and help us stuff 
uh, what we would call hygiene kits. So the things that, you know, the bags that we take to the hospital to give to survivors, we use volunteers to come in and file things for us or support us at special events. The training that we offer that starts this July, actually, we have another training coming up July 22nd. Um, that is for our advocate training, right? So any volunteer who's going to work with us and interact directly with a survivor or survivor's loved one has to go through really extensive training. We want to make sure they're really well prepared because we believe survivors deserve the absolute best care. So it's a 40-hour training. It's amazing. It's unbelievably educational. Uh, we have people who come through the training who don't intend to volunteer, but they just want to be better educated about this. Mm. So we're constantly looking for folks who are interested in being a part of our organization. This is a this is a community issue. It demands a community response. We need our community to show up. It's the Dallas Area Rape Crisis Center. I have been speaking with their CEO, Amy Jones. If you want more information, you can find them online at dallasrapecrisis.org or give them a call. Their hotline number, 972 641 7273, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And once again, that training, if you're interested, happening July 22nd. If you're interested, hit up the website. Amy, it was great speaking with you. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much, Nick. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.